Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by Stamps.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial of Stamps.com, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini. That's stamps.com and then enter three martini. All right, Jim, just yesterday we were talking about uh, the ridiculous award for the CNN town hall after the Parkland school shooting and how that turned into a political pep rally. And yet the Lear Center out at USC uh, is giving CNN an award for that. And given what we've learned about USC in the last several days, I guess we probably shouldn't be too surprised. They were at the heart of the um, admission scandal. But uh, now we've got some honest appraisal of the mainstream media from someone who could not be more mainstream media. And that is Ted Koppel, the longtime anchor of Nightline and uh, just a fixture on ABC for many, many years. Jim, I'm tempted to do this quote in a Ted Koppel voice, but I won't, just to not distract from the message. Uh, He was speaking, uh, just to tell you just how institutional this is, he was interviewed at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace by Marvin Kalb. So that tells you it's not fringe. All right. He says, I'm terribly concerned that when you talk about the New York Times these days, when you talk about the Washington Post these days, We're not talking about the New York Times of 50 years ago. We're not talking about the Washington Post of 50 years ago. We're talking about organizations that I believe have, in fact, decided as organizations that Donald J. Trump is bad for the United States. We have things appearing on the front page of the New York Times right now that would never have appeared 50 years ago. So, uh, Jim, he's not telling us anything we don't know. I'm not sure this uh, is earth-shattering in any way, but whenever you get someone who's you know, not trafficking in, uh, in in conservative media calling this stuff out. It's it's noteworthy. First of all, Greg, I want to salute you as the guy who usually lapses into voices on this program. That's a pretty good Ted Koppel. <laughs> I do believe that it is slightly lower and slower than doing a Marv Albert impression. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it, it's funny. I hearing that and not just your impression of it, I found myself gripped by nostalgia for Ted Koppel. And, you know, this was not a guy who was seen as a right-of-center figure by any stretch of the imagination. But I think back to, you know, the the birth of Nightline uh, growing with the, the Iranian hostage crisis. And I think the, the image that came across with Koppel was seriousness. Uh, and look, maybe when one of your, you know, when, when the program begins with one of the most frightening, and I think... Uh, uh, unnerving and let's say powerless moments for the Americans in, in late 1979 into 1980 during the hostage crisis. You know, this was serious business. This was life and death. This was the rise of a major new threat in the Middle East. And you can imagine Americans in that late 70, 1980 situation saying, God, the Middle East is a, you know, what a dangerous minefield of, of you know, extremism and, and maniacal dictators that is. Good thing we're not going to have to deal with that for the next 30 to 40 years. And uh, of course, we end up needing to do that. But there was, I think back with him, his, he was on ABC. Uh, uh, Sam Donaldson was at that point considered by the standards of the 80s, Donaldson was seen as an, a, a big ego, uh, tough questioner of the White House. So, oh, come now, Mr. President. You know? But there was, a, there was a seriousness to it. It was generally about 
the facts and about the policies. It was kind of about hard stuff. If you watched Nightline, you'd, you'd get smarter. You, you, you would actually learn more about the state of the world. I don't know if uh, things are necessarily the, the same case if you're watching Don Lemon and hearing about questions. So Ted Koppel would never have asked whether a black hole was the cause of the Malaysian Airlines disappearance a couple of years back. Um, and I think Ted Koppel's assessment of the state of the New York Times and the state of the Washington Post and the state of, of various television news organizations now is not the same as it was a generation ago. I think it's safe to say they're more open and outspoken. You know, uh, my colleague Jay Nordlinger put it well when he said, we used to have a biased media. Now we have a partisan media. And then we, the way we see that is that when a... Um, there was a, t- a biased media would be very upset with Ralph Northam. A partisan media would not get that, you know, would be upset with Ralph Northam and then drop it after a couple of days because he's a Democrat. And even though we hate racism and even though we think wearing blackface is really terrible, we're going to drop it because he's on our team and we're going to let, you know, we're going to let that slide. Um, and that's, you know, a deeply frustrating state of affairs because there are days that Republicans need to get criticized. There are days they get their, their hand caught in the cookie jar. There are days that, uh, uh, they, they need to be that. But the, the relentless one-sided nature of the media, I think one causes the Republicans to tune it out. Two, it gives the Republicans who actually get their hand caught in the cookie jar to say, ah, you know, it's that lying media, can't trust them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just deeply frustrating. That I think the public is being ill-served by this. And uh, a relentlessly partisan media, um, one, if you're a corrupt Democrat, you know, the media is going to lose interest in stuff that you do pretty quickly. And if you're a corrupt Republican, you can just say the media is out to get you and a good chunk of Republicans will believe you. Um, and I think that's a, uh, a very bad state of affairs for the country. Not quite sure how you get the, uh, the, the genie back in the bottle, but I do think that Ted Koppel wrapping the youngsters on the knuckles and saying you're doing your job wrong is a good place to start. Yes. And social media is not helping. And so maybe just Corresponding with letters is the way to go uh, for all of this. And, of course, that's not a segue at all. Oh, yes, it is. To Stamps.com. No one really has the time to go to the post office because, you know, you're busy. Who's got time for all the traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages inside? And if it's lousy weather like it is today in the D.C. area, it's a real hassle. That's why you need Stamps.com one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. All of the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service can come right to your computer because of Stamps.com. Whether you're a small office that's just sending out invoices, whether you're an online seller who needs to ship out products, or even if you're a giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle your needs with ease. Simply use your computer to print out official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's just that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off of every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. And it's no surprise that more than 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Yeah, that kind of money adds up in a hurry. Certainly the 40% off priority mail and even the $0.05 off every first-class stamp. So right now, our listeners on the Three Martini Lunch can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. That's Stamps.com, and then enter 3Martini.
All right, Jim, we've entered into our bad martini now. And this is a bad martini I don't know how many times we've done. Once is way too much, but yet here we are again. Uh, President Trump had a tweet storm over the weekend that went into a lot of different areas. One area was of uh, John McCain's alleged involvement with the Steele dossier during 2016. Uh, John McCain, in case anyone's been living in a cave for the past several months, died at the end of August last year. That's more than six months ago. Yet, President Trump still very much not happy with John McCain. Uh, So it's not just uh, limited to the Twitter account. Yesterday, the president was at an event in Ohio, and he brought up John McCain. Why? I'm not really sure. Uh, Here are some different clips from that. First of all, him just bringing it up. A lot of people are asking because they love me, and they ask me about a man named John McCain. And if you want that to tell you about, should I or not? Yes? Yes? So I have to be honest, I've never liked him much. Hasn't been for me. I've really probably never will. He blasts McCain for uh, passing along the dossier, and then he talked about McCain with the health care vote. John McCain campaigned for years to repeal and replace Obamacare. For years in Arizona, great state. I love the people of Arizona. But he campaigned for years for repeal and replace. So did Rob, so did a lot of senators. When he finally had the chance to do it, he voted against repeal and replace. He voted against at 2 o'clock in the morning. Remember, thumbs down. We said, what the hell happened? He said two hours before he was voting to repeal and replace, and he went thumbs down. Badly hurting the Republican Party, badly hurting our nation, and hurting many sick people who desperately wanted good, affordable health care. We would have had it. He even dared to talk about the McCain funeral. I endorsed him at his request, and I gave him the kind of funeral that he wanted, which as president, I had to approve. I don't care about this. I didn't get thank you. That's okay. We sent him on the way, but I wasn't a fan of John McCain. Now, you got a lot of Republicans that spoke out on this yesterday. Johnny Isaacson of Georgia, Mitt Romney of Utah, and several others, uh, one of which, uh, Lindsey Graham, um, wasn't much of an ally of President Trump back in 2016, certainly is now. Uh, Here's his assessment. He was a very close friend of John McCain. Uh, I love John McCain. I traveled the world with him. I learned a lot from him. He's an American hero, and nothing will ever diminish that. Uh, I think the president's... uh, comments about Senator McCain hurt him more than they hurt the legacy of Senator McCain. I'm going to try to continue to help the president. And um, a lot of people are coming to John's defense now that called him crazy and a warmonger. So it's kind of interesting to see the politics of how this dispute's being used to bash Trump by people who are against both Trump and McCain. So, Jim, I think he's got a couple of good points there. There's a lot of people who love John McCain, except when he was running for president against Barack Obama and then came up with all sorts of epithets against him. But I think the the most important point there is this is going to hurt Trump way more than it hurts John McCain's legacy and why Trump continues to go down this road when the Democrats are blasting themselves in the foot with uh, Social Security for illegals and abolishing the Electoral College and socialism. uh, It's bewildering. Yeah, I mean, it's indisputable. He's got bigger fish to fry, bigger fights to fight. Um, but I think that for Donald Trump, this this is what he enjoys on some level, which I think speaks to something very troubling deep within him. Um, 
again, it's kind of the, the degree to which he felt the need to just lash out at George Conway. Um, you'd think the president of the United States would have bigger things to focus upon. But this is what Trump really this is what really interests Trump. This is what really drives Trump. This is what gets his his blood pumping and stirs his passions. What are people saying about me? And if they said something not nice about me, if they said something critical of me, boy, am I going to lash out at them? I'm going to lash out at them at a, you know, at rallies. I will lash out at them on Twitter. I will lash out at them at every possible opportunity, whether or not it is in my short term or long term interest to do so. Because he has the, the, the impulse control of an overcaffeinated ferret, Greg. But the other thing, which I think, I, I, this isn't all bad, though. I, mean, I think it's a, out of all the moments of Trump's wild, unpredictable presidency, I think we need to have somewhere on that wall of fame, we need to have the quote, I gave him the funeral he wanted, and he never even thanked me. <laughs> or I guess I, I was never thanked. He never specifies who. Maybe he thought Cindy McCain, maybe he thought Megan, you know, but, First of all, which I had to approve, I guess it would be the the lying in state. Of the, no, actually, the Congress would approve lying in state. I think he just approved the plane bringing his body to Washington. Okay, there you are. All right, so there, you know, like what, and and, and Trump acts like, you know, I, yeah. There, I, let's, let's move on, Greg. I can't. I'm I'm just going to start frothing at the mouth at this point. I just, <sighs> if he would just get out of his own way, he'd be such a better president. Get, too much to ask. Apparently. Yes, yes. I think by now we realize that really is sadly too much to ask. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim, and let's go over to Axios. One of the big questions is Joe Biden ever actually going to run for president? And sounds like he's told a lot of people he's planning to do it. And now we've got a new twist in this story, which is raising a few eyebrows. Close advisors to former Vice President Joe Biden are debating the idea of packaging his presidential campaign announcement with a pledge to choose Stacey Abrams as his vice president. Why it matters. The popular Georgia Democrat, who is at age 45, is 31 years younger than Biden, would bring diversity and excitement to the ticket, showing voters in the words of a close source that Biden isn't just another old white guy. But the decision poses considerable risk and some advisors are flatly opposed. Some have pointed out that in a Democratic debate, he could be asked why no one on the stage would be a worthy running mate. Advisors also know that the move would be perceived as a gimmick. Biden's positions on the issue couldn't be learned. We're just told about the advisors debate. These are all bullet points in the article. Biden has discussed selecting a running mate early, a move that one senior Democrat said could hurt him by feeding an air of inevitability. And we know how much that helped Hillary Clinton a couple of times in recent years. So, uh, Jim, uh, it's kind of sad, but it, it's pretty representative of the identity politics hold on the Democratic Party now that uh, being a straight white male means uh, you got a problem before you even start running here. So uh, we got to get Stacey Abrams on the ticket. Yeah. So, Greg, I'm going to go off a little bit of a tangent, but trust me, I will come back to this particular (laughs) prospect of a Biden Abrams ticket. Do you ever walk by a new restaurant? You you look at the menu that's posted outside. Oh, it looks really good. You go inside, you order the food and it's terrible. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I I this looked good from the outside. My first impression, I I thought this is all going to be very appetizing. The, The stuff on the menu sounded great. But then I got it and I realized I made a terrible mistake. That's what this is, because at first glance, you're like, oh, man, Biden Abrams, you know, there's something for everybody there. Uh, You got experience, you got youth, you got a man, you got a woman, you got a black, you got a white. Um, You've got, you know, somebody who's perceived to be part of the establishment or centrist part of the party, although I think you and I would argue that Biden never really spent that much time voting against the rest of his party. He just kind of followed whichever the uh, whatever the the mainstream currents of the party were flowing. That's what he was uh, supporting. But Abrams is indisputably 
uh, not just progressive, but I think one of the favorite candidates of uh, progressives in 2018, the one that a lot of them, for reasons that escape me, uh, believe should run for president. Um, and also, I think, by the way, kind of an interesting point, I do believe that there's a, this kind of this stirring bit of discontent amongst progressives, particularly in the grassroots, this perception that, you know, uh, Andrew Gillum came very close in Florida's governor's race. Stacey Abrams came very close in the Georgia governor's race. Bader O'Rourke came within 3% in Texas. Bader O'Rourke had $80 million, just unbelievable amount of national media coverage. If, say, $5 million each had gone to Gillum and Abrams, and if 10%, 20% of the national media coverage of O'Rourke had been spent on Stacey Abrams, would 2018 have turned out differently? Would she have won? It's a, it's a fair question. You're kind of left wondering about that. You know, was, was Beta O'Rourke some a misallocation of, of resources? So at first glance, you're like, okay, well, this gives everybody. But as you know, something for everybody in this. But you think about it. If you're the, let's say you're a hard left progressive, you're really frustrated that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez isn't 35 years old because you want her to run right now. Well, why would you take... Biden, and then you get Stacey Abrams in the in the Naval Observatory for for, uh, for a while, having a a voice at the table. Um, I mean, by comparison, you could have Kamala Harris, you could have um, <laughs> Warren, you could have Bernie Sanders. I mean, you you can get a much more progressive candidate at the top of the ticket and not have to settle for just the running mate slot and you know some say in the future administration's policies. Also, a fair question considering his age, he'll be seventy eight shortly after uh, uh, Election Day 2020. Um, does Biden serve for eight years or does Biden just say, okay, after four years, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out? Not a lot of recent precedents for this. And, and generally, most people think it's not a particularly good idea. You're basically saying, look, within four years, the job's going to be too much for me. <laughs> well, well, then maybe we should look at some of, some of the other options, Mr. Vice President. This is, uh, Maybe it's a sign. If, if you can't do the full eight years, maybe you shouldn't be running for a position that you can serve eight years. Um, there's lots of other things you could be doing with that time. Um, I, you can, I also have to wonder if, I mean, Abrams and Biden had a meeting last week. A lot of people are speculating that their meeting discussed this sort of option. Um, I suppose it's possible some folks would argue that Stacey Abrams was sort of selling out uh, by, by aligning herself with Biden or something like that. I, I just, what I think is most fascinating about this is that this is sort of an effort to kind of preemptively resolve the, the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. And at this point, we're approaching 20 candidates. Like this is not, you know, the, the other 17 or 18 aren't going to say, oh, never mind, we're out. <laughs> well, we'll just uh, line up for our cabinet positions in the bi- future Biden administration. No, you know, because if that's the case, let's say Biden serves four years. OK, well, then Vice President Stacey Abrams is going to run for president four years after that. If she wins, she would then get eight years. So basically everybody else in the party would be, have to be put off their, their ambitions for, for a considerable amount of time. If you're Kamala, Kamala Harris, you're not you don't want to sit around and wait for this. This is your moment. If you're Beto, look, you're only going to be the, the fresh face and the big, next big thing once in your life. Uh, a lot of people already arguing Elizabeth Warren missed her ideal window back in 2016. So if you're one of these other Democrats, you don't just say no to this. You say hell no to this and you do everything you can to tear this down from both ends. And oh, by the way, let's observe. Yes, President Trump was elected with zero presidential, with zero experience in, in office. Um, you know, and, and you could argue that may have permanently blown up the idea of what kind of level of experience is appropriate for a potential commander in chief. 
But here's the problem. The flip side is that all of the argument for Biden is his experience, right? That he's been in the job, he's been a heartbeat away, key part of the Obama administration. Now you pick Abrams, who was a state legislator for seven years. And that's, and, and you're ready to be, you know, a, st- a heartbeat away from the presidency. I, I'm not so sure that's uh, such a natural case there. So um, the more you look at this, the less sense it makes. If Biden was a stock, would you be buying it or selling it right now? <laughs> I think if you look at this and see this as a rather ominous rattle in the engine that they're contemplating these sorts of gimmicks. And look, this is a guy who at least so far is leading all the polls, both nationally and in these early primary states. So um, you kind of got to get the feeling that Joe Biden, the Biden 2020 campaign, uh, presuming it comes to fruition and you know, the Wall Street Journal, other places had said it was, um, you got to wonder if it's got something of a glass jaw, Greg. And um, I don't know about you, I just... Can't wait to see that. <laughs> I think there's a potential awesome silver lining here uh, with all of these folks jumping into the presidential race and focusing on that. Let's say there's a blue wave uh, at, at the presidential level in 2020. Now, that's a big if because even Politico today is saying right now the forecast looks like Trump by a landslide. So unless there's an economic downturn or a major scandal beyond what we've already seen, uh, he's looking to be in very good shape right now. And given how crazy the Democrats are tacking but, but left. Greg, yeah. what's a major scandal compared to what we've seen so far? <laughs> that's a good question. Our previous martini was about denouncing a dead guy. <laughs> That's true. Okay, but let's say that let's say the Democrats win the White House. Let's say they keep the House. That means the control of the Senate is huge in making sure that the the socialist agenda doesn't get going forward. Uh, so if the Republicans can keep control of the Senate, that's awesome. And then Beto's not running in Texas. You know, Castro could be a formidable candidate against Cornyn. We don't know, but that means probably Abrams does not run against Purdue, who I think is probably fairly safe anyway but you kind of have to put those even further into the republican column and so if republicans can stave off democrats there you got to think 2022 would be a pretty severe backlash and maybe i'm overthinking this way too much but uh to get some of these key senate recruits uh off the table for the democrats is not a bad thing i don't think no and in fact uh, this trend in politics of the moment you make it hot you could say it's the Obama lesson from 2008, right? He, he you know, appears on the scene in 2004. Democrats fall in love with him. He's, he's in the Senate for about two years. And, you know, January, very early January 2007, he announces he's running for president under the mentality of when you are the hot new thing, jump in. That, that experience is starting to turn into a liability. It's turning into a problem. You take a whole bunch of votes and eventually you piss somebody off. Uh, you just want to be that fresh, hot, new thing. Let every be that blank slate that everybody can project their ideals onto, and boom, you end up winning the presidency. This is a bad trend for a whole bunch of different reasons. But one of the interesting things that it's doing is it, it's taking folks like Stacey Abrams, who came very close in a statewide race and would presumably be a you know strong competitor either in a Senate race or running for for governor again, um, and it makes them say, "Oh, you know, I should run for president." Uh, Julian Castro. Um, I'm writing about Pete Buttigieg, the uh, South Bend mayor who's running for president. By the way, Greg, take a guess. If you had to rank America's cities, <laughs> where South Bend ranks? In population? In terms of population size. Oh, the, uh, somewhere in the high hundreds. I'll say 753. Okay, it's not that bad. No, okay. <laughs> but uh, as of 2017, it was 299th. <laughs> okay. Behind Davenport, Iowa. Right. So there's all part right. of it's like, um, and all okay, so people know he's 37 years old. Uh, for perspective, he says he was in elementary school when he remembers hearing about the Berlin Wall coming down. 
Uh, he was in also in elementary school when George H.W. Bush was elected. Uh, when Bill Clinton was elected, he was 10. When 9-11 occurred, he was a sophomore in college. He's a millennial. Yeah, he's very much a millennial. He is he is young. Um, and I just I have no idea how they're going to play. But they're probably like, so, um, kiddo, you, you don't look like you can buy beer without ID. <laughs> and you're mayor of close to the 300th largest city in America. Kid, go back to you know, <laughs> go back and do something. And he's got a very impressive record in a lot of other ways. Rhodes Scholar, Harvard. Look, Pete Buttigieg is basically the guy who um, he, he's the he's the overachieving valedictorian that your parents wished you were more like. Uh, you know, <laughs> give him credit for that. But you're, you're like, wait, wait, why are wait? Why aren't you running for Senate? Why aren't you running for governor? Why are you running for president of the United States? Why why is half the Senate? running for president right now why are all these people suddenly deciding that the only way that they can make a difference and the only way they can make america better or or see the is by running for president of the united states and obviously a whole bunch of them aren't a whole bunch of them are running for cabinet posts or running for attention or basically building there's all kinds of uh uh, the old joke that 100 senators look in the mirror and see a president staring back at them um but man this is you know if you're recruiting for the Senate races or the gubernatorial races or stuff like that, hey, these are still important jobs, folks. <laughs> you don't just have to run for president uh, unless, of course, you're running and you think this is a good way to get a, uh, a show on cable news or something like that. Uh, I don't know if you folks so you got to take the Trump warning. You never know when you louse it all up and actually win. <laughs> I don't know if you folks feel better about uh, our political prospects heading forward after that excellent rant by Jim, but I know Jim feels better by getting off his chest. So, Jim, there well, you go. well done. You know what I'm going you know to do, Greg? I'm going to take all these thoughts. I'm going to sit right down and mail myself a letter. Ah, very good. But how are you going to pay for that? With stamps.com. Very nice. Stamps.com is the way to go. Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and the digital scale. Go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in three martini join jim and me again on friday for the next three martini lunch